take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. This is a psalm written by David, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. And as we'll see as we read it, none of these things exempted him from distress and trouble in his life. All men are exposed to troubles throughout their lives. Well, David certainly had his share. Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I will cry, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before the Lord, our, before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great. And do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me. And you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the proud have risen against me. A mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy upon me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. One of the requests that we often make during our prayer meetings is that the Lord would grant to us a spirit of prayer, a true spirit of prayer. Well, we see such a spirit of prayer in this psalm. I want to look at what a true spirit of prayer is from this psalm. And the first thing I want to point out is that a true spirit of prayer is calling upon God. He says this several times throughout this psalm. He says in verse 3, For for I cry to you all day long. That's a form of calling upon God. It's crying out to Him like a child crying for his parents. Verse 4, for you, O Lord, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Verse 7, in the day of my trouble, I will call upon you. 
that's the first and most basic part of true religion. It's calling upon God. And we see that the, the, the ungodly, they don't call upon God. They, they don't turn to Him. They don't look to Him. But He calls upon His Lord. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, the Bible says. The wicked do not call upon Him. And I point this out that it's, a, it's calling upon God because true prayer and a true spirit of prayer is more than simply saying your prayers. Uh, just reciting some words. Uh, there's a new Roman Catholic app for your phone called Hallow. <laughs> it's often advertised with uh, famous people and, and they speak of it in this way, that it's simple and so easy to use and you'll, you'll stay prayed up. You know, it's like you, you do your morning exercise and you're done for the day, but you're all prayed up for the day and you can go on and conquer the world. Well, it's more than just staying prayed up. It's calling upon God. It's calling upon God to hear and to answer prayer. The psalmist calls upon the Lord because he recognizes his need. Uh, that's where a true spirit of prayer comes from, when we truly understand and recognize our need to call upon Him. Uh, he acknowledges, for I am poor and needy. That's a humble recognition and acknowledgement that we lack something. We need something from the Lord. Now, God isn't just a vending machine. He's not something you can just call upon and get what you want and go your way. But no, it's really understanding that you have a need and that only He can fill it. The Laodicean church in the book of Revelation, the lukewarm church, they said, I have, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And he's rebuked, that church is rebuked by the Lord that you do not know that you are wretched and miserable, poor, blind and naked. You should have called upon Him. He would have provided all that you need. But you don't recognize your needs, so you don't call upon Him. And so, first of all, a, a true spirit of prayer is calling upon God. True prayer begins with a recognition of both the greatness of God and the nearness of God. And both are seen in this very first expression that he, he makes in this psalm. Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me. Uh, that's a recognition of God's greatness and of His nearness. That He has to bow down shows His greatness. That he has to bow down, that he, that he actually does bow down, shows his nearness and his condescension. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. That's not something we should just let roll off our tongue so quickly without thought. We need to contemplate that God is in heaven. Someone said in telling us to address God as our Father in heaven, the concern of Jesus is not with protocol, teaching us the correct etiquette in approaching deity, but with truth that we may come to Him in the right frame of mind. I think that's one of the reasons we don't have a true spirit of prayer sometimes. We aren't even preparing our minds for what we're doing, who we're coming to. 
We are coming before the God of heaven and earth, the God who dwells in heaven. John Stott said it's always wise before we pray to spend time deliberately recalling who He is. Only then shall we come to our loving Heavenly Father in heaven with appropriate humility, devotion, and confidence. Someone else said true prayer brings the mind to the immediate contemplation of God's character and holds it there until the believer's soul is properly impressed. We can use names for God, Lord, God. We can say those things as we pray without much thought. Those things ought to bring to flood our minds and our hearts with the greatness of God. We shouldn't allow those words to roll off our tongue without due meditation and contemplation because they bring before our minds and our hearts these two essential concepts that are necessary for true prayer and true worship, the greatness and the nearness of God. In the Lord's Prayer, when He said, You're to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. It brings those two together, doesn't it? Our Father speaks of His nearness, of His accessibility. In heaven, isn't speaking of where, just where God is, but it speaks of His greatness and His majesty. So we should always approach God with confidence and awe, with filial love and reverential fear. These two considerations must be at the forefront of our minds when we approach God, when we approach His throne in prayer and in worship. One of the greatest problems with our prayer and our worship, uh, really it's a problem we have in our Christian life, is that we're not sufficiently impressed with the greatness of God. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 and 2 There the wise man said, walk prudently when you go into the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. They do not know that they do evil. And then he goes on to say, do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It doesn't mean we should be... uh, We should be afraid to come to God in prayer, but we need to come to Him with that right spirit of prayer. In verses 7 through 10, He he speaks of this greatness of God. Uh, Or in verse 8 through 10, He says, Among the gods there is none like You, O Lord, nor are there any works like Your works. All the nations whom You have made shall come and worship before You, O Lord, and shall glorify Your name, for You are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And so we need to consider His greatness as we come to Him in prayer. Matthew Henry said, When God hears our prayers, it is, uh, it is fitly that He bows down His ear to them. That speaks of His condescension, uh, uh, of stooping down. And He says it is an admirable condescension in God that He is pleased to take notice of such mean creatures as we are and such defective prayers as are ours. (laughs) Imagine that, that God would hear us. Sometimes we don't really believe that He does because how would we believe God who is in heaven would be concerned with us? But He is. And He tells us that He is. 
And David, who had this true spirit of prayer, he understood, yes, God is great, but he actually bows down his ear to hear us, to listen. He is a prayer hearing God. Verse 6, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. God gives His attention to the cries of His people. But then also, and tied along with this, understanding His greatness and His condescension, a true spirit of prayer recognizes our unique relationship to God. We're not simply or only His creatures, which we certainly are, along with all men. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. But we are His people. In Christ, we belong to Him. And that's what the psalmist says here. He says in verse 2, Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. You see how he's showing his relationship to God. He speaks, first of all, he says, I am holy. Now, have you ever thought of pleading your personal holiness as a reason for God to hear you? I doubt it. (laughs) We shrink back from that, don't we? Oh, do not mark my iniquities, O Lord. If the Lord would mark our iniquities, who could stand? But there's another meaning for holiness, and that is the idea of being set apart. Psalm 4 says, But I know the Lord has set apart for Himself Him who is godly. He has set them apart. They have been taken out of the world and set apart. Everything that is holy in the Bible is something that is set apart. The temple was set apart. The utensils were set apart. The priest was set apart. All of God's people are set apart by God to be His people. He came, He sent His Son into this world to save a people for His own possession. And that's what God has done. And so the psalmist says, the Lord will hear when I call Him. Why? Because He is set apart the godly for Himself. Sometimes His people are referred to as His holy ones. Saints, uh, that's another term we might feel a bit uncomfortable with. If I addressed you always as the saints of God, you might hang your head and say, oh, I'm no saint. But that's what Paul calls the people of God. He even calls the Corinthian church the saints who are in Corinth. They are saints by calling. They have been set apart. Now, it's true as well that if we regard iniquity in our hearts, He will not hear us. That is, if we're holding on to some particular sin and we're not willing to repent and to confess it and to turn from it. He says, I won't hear you. The heavens will be like brass when we're calling upon the Lord. Unless we're calling upon Him to forgive and to help us to forsake our sin, He won't hear us. But here He's speaking of that being set apart by God. Charles Simeon said, we must not imagine that David here meant to boast of his high attainment and holiness. The term holy is applied in Scripture to everything that is dedicated to God. Though from its very nature it cannot possess any inherent sanctity. And he refers to the temple and the vessels and the offerings. They were all holy, he said, because they were set apart for God. 
So David speaks of himself as set apart for God. And his expression is exactly equivalent to that which he uses in another place where he says, I am thine. I belong to you. And he goes on to say that. You are my God. I am yours. There's that blessed and reciprocal relationship. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And Jesus said we are to pray our Father, which speaks of the most intimate relationship we can imagine. We have been adopted into the very family of God. And so we have every right to call upon Him as our Father who art in heaven. Do you ever stop and think before you go into the presence of God in prayer? And do you think and contemplate who He is and your relationship to Him? Do you ever stop and think that the God who made the heavens and the earth and upholds all things by His power whom the angels adore and incessantly worship. Do you ever think of Him as being your heavenly Father? He knows you. He calls you by name. You are precious in His sight. You are the apple of His eye. He is concerned with you and your well-being. He is concerned with His church. He loved the church and gave Himself up for it. What a relationship we have with Him. And we ought to bring all of that as we come to Him in prayer. And then finally, a true spirit of prayer apprehends the grace and mercy of God. And we see that throughout this psalm. He says in verse 3, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cried you all day long. In verse 5, He, he says, for you, o, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Verse 13, For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Verse 15, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. When we see God in this way, Yes, He is holy and He is lifted up, but He is also gracious and kind and merciful and forgiving. Are we filled with sin? We ought to call upon Him because He is a God who delights in showing mercy. He is ready to forgive. Charles Simeon said, He desired mercy. Be merciful to me, O Lord. He desired peace. Rejoice the soul of your servant, O Lord. Now, these are such petitions as every sinner in the universe should offer. And there is no other that can be compared with them in point of importance to the souls of men. And there he was contrasting with asking for particular things, temporal things that we need here. We need health and we need food and we need this and we need that. Those are important things to keep us going in our physical life, but our soul is far more important. The forgiveness of sins is far more important. To rejoice in the Lord is far more important. The soul is far more important. But when we see God in this way, apprehending His grace and mercy, who wouldn't call upon a God like that? If you're feeling any reluctance to call upon Him to pray, Remember who He is. He is the God in heaven. He's the one who bows down. He is. He's great. 
but He condescends to the lowly. He is a God full of compassion and mercy. Call upon Him while He is near, the Bible says. And don't let anything stop you from coming to the Lord. Maybe your sin is, is screaming. devil is whispering in your ear. You have no right to call upon Him. Oh, I have every right. I am His child. But you've sinned against Him. And He is a God full of compassion. He's a God ready to forgive. So I will call upon Him. Oh, your problems are too great. Oh, not for my God. He dwells in heaven. There's nothing too hard for Him. In the day of trouble, I will call upon Him and He will answer me. What great precious promises we have here that would stir up a true spirit of prayer. And you think of the idea of just reciting some prayers or thinking God will hear you because of the multitude of your words. Oh, God looks at the heart we saw this morning. He looks at the inner man. He doesn't, he's not concerned with fancy words or expressions. He wants truth in the inner man, in the inner parts. A broken and contrite spirit He will not despise. That's what we need to come to Him with. That broken and contrite spirit. A humble man. A humble woman. A humble child. Calling upon God with that promise that He will hear and He will answer us according to His greatness, according to His mercy, according to His great wisdom. He will answer us. May this help us as we come tonight to pray, to call upon Him together. Let's make sure we do call upon Him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank